0: Began our retreat a few nights ago, which may feel like a lifetime ago for many people here. James told the story of how Metta began during the time of the Buddha when the monks were practicing in the forest in the way they did at that time in solitude and they were frightened by the tree spirits and. They were so frightened that they left and went back to the Buddha and said they couldn't go back to the forest and they were too frightened of the spirits. And so the Buddha said, yes, you go back, but I want you to go back with the practice of metta. Do this practice where you are expressing this attitude of love and kindness and friendliness to the beings in the forest. And so they went back as the Buddha instructed and they were able to do their practice. And so metta was taught as a practice that brings protection, that can bring a sense of safety. And it's considered the antidote, the antidote for fear to overcome our deep fears. And so, this is what I'd like to talk about tonight, is this sense of safety, because it's really so crucial to the whole of the metta practice. And, you know, we say this phrase, the first phrase, may I be safe, may you be safe in all ways, as Kamala said this morning, safe in all ways, and sometimes, sometimes we connect with that phrase and sometimes we don't. And yet it is really so central to this practice, the sense of safety. Because if we feel safe, if we feel a sense of safety, then we can relax. We relax. And when we relax, our heart naturally opens. And so we might be able to consider that fact in itself, that perhaps there's some way... Deep in our being, we may not feel safe. Some something, something that gives rise to that inner condition of unsafety. In this regard, relaxation really is such a key in our practice, in all of our spiritual practices. So, in that respect, we hear at at Spirit Rock here on the retreat we create this environment, we generate the conditions in this environment so that you can feel a sense of protection and safety and relax as much as possible so that in that relaxation possibly you're able to naturally unfold on your journey so that you're not feeling quite as guarded or having to protect yourself as you might in, when you're going through your daily life. We have so many conditions here that give support to this, and one of the key conditions is silence. I mean, if you can imagine, what if we were just all hanging out and talking to each other, you know, while we're doing our metta practice? There'd be a whole lot more going on that we'd have to be dealing with. But this silence, because we can move through the room and the hall and, the, and outside the dining room, we can just really stay in this beautiful space of solitude, of silence. It really does give us support to know that we're not really going to be disturbed. Nobody's going to really interrupt our process. There's a way that we are supported just to go through what we need to go through and if we really need something, somebody will be here to, to look after us. One kind of way, one, one of the ways that perhaps we can begin to relax, of course the silence does bring up more, but this is part of the material that we then can really work with, with awareness and a kind attention. We have this beautiful space of nature. You know, we're not just in a, urban center in a city where we're dealing with all that uh, stimulation and, and input, but we really have the quiet and space of the beauty here, the trees, the hills, the animals, the wind that blows in the grass, the sun, the stars at night, all of that really helps us to open, to relax. We are away from our difficulties, our challenges, our duties, our responsibilities, we get a break from that. As somebody said in one of the groups, I, you can't imagine what a relief it is to be away from the computer, mm-hmm. away from email. It's like her life, she said, was so much about emails and, uh, and her work. Just that, that relief, that, that relaxation that happens around those sorts of things We have the teachings and the teachers and the structure of the schedule, which gives us some container for holding our uh, day together here. All these things, you know, really give support, the practices, all the practices and the teachings of the practices, so that we can more and more let go, relax and let go. And of course, as we let go, we do hit up against our conditioning, and our difficulties and our challenges, and this is the material that we work with for our awakening, for our opening. We are creating a refuge for your mind and your heart to feel safe, to relax, to take that risk, to be able to take more risks, as Kamala mentioned last night, the risk to open, the risk to let go, to enter into some of the unfamiliar territory that may have felt too frightening to go before. All of this is so nurtured here, so valued here. And we all know that finding a refuge is not so easy in this world. Maybe it's the 21st century world, I don't know. When I read a lot of historical accounts, I have a feeling that in some ways maybe we are better off than we used to be. But it is pretty challenging, it's pretty difficult. The world does not feel like a safe place for many of us, maybe for most of us. One of the conditions that gives rise to this sense of unsafety is that we don't know what will happen from one moment to the next. There's a place in our being, in our, in our consciousness, that we know that anything can happen at any time. Even though we may not live this way, we want to we, we kind of live in a way that you know we imagine everything is going to be there when we get back, our houses, our relationship, you know, our jobs, and you know we, we live in a, rel- a way that th- we believe things are relatively secure, but we actually know. We know that things are changing and they're uncertain. And this gives rise to a certain insecurity that we feel, kind of a restlessness, almost a restlessness in our nervous system. You know, it's just just as human beings because we, we feel a kind of fragility, a kind of vulnerability. Conditions are constantly changing and that's just the way things are. Even though we don't go around feeling this necessarily, the ego mind devises all these strategies to be sure that we can forget this. You know, we come up with all kinds of ways to pretend that the world is stable, that things are stable. And these strategies really help us stay in a kind of place where we feel kind of familiar and known and safe and, you know. But again, there's that that inner knowing that it actually isn't so safe. We know this. And we find that more and more these days it's hard to hide this especially with some of the things that have happened and are happening, and, and with all the information now, the information that we get that tells us what's going on in most of the places in the world that we, you know, 50 years ago wouldn't have ac- had ac- access to that information. So all that's starting to impinge on us, impose on us. And besides, to believe that things really aren't going to change doesn't work, Right? As much as we may not wanna bring that truth in, it still doesn't work to, to deny it. There was an Afro-American woman on our retreat one time, our meta retreat one time, and she raised her hand in the morning and she said she was having difficulty with the phrase, um, may I be safe or may you be safe. And she said, she said, I never feel safe. And she said when she was sending Metta to her friends, to her loved ones, she could feel how they weren't feeling safe either. And she just couldn't say it. There wasn't any way that she could really connect with that phrase. It was just too much of a reality for her, that truth, that it was unsafe. And it just felt so important to hear her experience. And as a a white woman, it was a little startling because I don't reflect on that very much sometimes. And just to hear that, the depth of that, that she doesn't feel safe, she never feels safe. So for some people, it's much more real than others. There is this sense of danger that people live with. <clears throat> for people of color, for people in the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transsexual, and queer communities, is something very real, a daily experience not imagined. And so for us as practitioners, one way that we express our compassion and our wisdom is that we really want to find ways to make this world safe. <clears throat> Safer for all people, for all beings. It's very, very important for us. So that's one thing. that's one thing we do as practitioners is we work with that, <clears throat> with that reality, with that truth. And then we can take it to another level. Because if you come to Buddhist teachings, the Buddhist teachings say that if you are looking for that which will bring a sense of safety then we need to look at our own mind. We need to look at our own heart and work with our own mind to start here. Because here is where we will find the forces of greed and hatred and confusion. And it's these forces that are actually bringing about the pain and suffering in our world, not only in our world but within our own internal experience as well. So if we stop and we look at our own mind and our own heart, we find these forces within our own mind, and we also find the forces that are going to counter those those, that greed, hatred, and delusion. We're going to find the wisdom and the compassion and the generosity within our own heart that can and will overcome that, those difficult, painful forces. And this is what is going to bring change, change both to my own internal world and the world out there. You know, we we know this. This isn't really news on some level, and yet it's important for us to remember that when we change and transform the internal conditions more and more, we find the true refuge, the true set, true feeling of what it's meant by safety. When we say inner safety and outer safety, we pray for the outer safety. However, the, the only way there will be outer safety is when we transform our consciousness, transform these painful and difficult forces of greed, hatred, and delusion. The Buddha's, one of the Buddha's instructions from the Sutta Nipata, one of the discourses of the Buddha, he says, In every direction there are things you know and recognize. Leave them. Do not look to them for rest and relief. Do not let consciousness dwell on the products of existence, on things that come and go. Do not look there. Do not look on the, at the conditions that come and go for a place as a place for relief, to rest. And so the Buddha is pointing us somewhere else. He's saying, turn, turn your attention inward to find the place you can rest. And the place you can rest is the place that you feel safe. This intention itself, this intention that we are cultivating here the intention for loving kindness, the intention for these beautiful blessings of safety and happiness and health and ease in our lives and other people's lives that we love and feel close to or people we feel alienated towards. This beautiful blessing, this in itself holds this powerful intention for transformation. On some level, it almost doesn't even matter what kind of experience you are having here. What matters is that you're here. What matters is that you have showed up here and that there's something within you that wants to bring about change in a positive and wholesome way. It's almost like your experience is secondary to that. This intention holds so much power. It has so much energy in it to break through those barriers of the heart, to begin to dissolve the forces of the negativity in the mind. And that intention, and you can feel this already with your metta, the intention is pointing us in the right direction. It just, as we've been speaking about this, inclining the mind, we're turning the mind, it's pointing us in the right direction. It's pointing us towards self understanding and self reflection. So we can start to understand what's in the way of our heart flowing with loving-kindness and generosity and compassion and joy. This intention itself is what awakens our goodness, our care, our respect. And awakening is a good word because it means that we're awakening what's already there. It's just not accessible to us sometimes. Not all the time. Sometimes. So we awaken the conditions The supportive conditions help those qualities of our being to awaken and come forth into manifestation, into expression, as me, as you, as us, as this world, as this global community that we live in. When I was talking about this on that retreat with the Afro-American woman, she actually felt a great sense of relief because she realized this was something she could work with. You know, she wasn't able to make the world into her own image. However, she could watch her own mind, she could train her own mind, she could steady her own heart, watch her own reactivity, understand that this is really what brings an end to the pain and the suffering that she's experiencing that so many people are experiencing And it was really beautiful to watch her excitement and her enthusiasm just rise and that sense of confidence. Yes, I can do this. I can do this. I can make a difference in this way. And so in some ways, the practice becomes simple for us in this way because we're encouraged just to keep turning back, keep turning back. The Buddha says, in every direction, there are things you know and recognize, leave them. He means, turn away, look for that which will give you the true refuge, the true place that you can rest. One of the first places that we can look when we start to examine uh, where this feeling of unsafety, And when we look at our own mind, we can look directly right at our judgment. The way we get caught up in judging, judging ourselves, judging other people, and the kind of aggression that we can feel and sense in that judgment. And the judgment, I say aggression because you know it has that tone. It has that kind of sharp, critical, negative, kind of hurtful, hurtful tone. Whether it's something we're turning towards ourselves or we're turning towards another person, it's kind of cutting. You know, we can feel that. We can, when we get sensitive and we become more present with ourselves, we kind of, you know, when we wake up to it, it kind of hurts. It's like, ooh, wow, that that's that's painful. When I do that, somebody was mentioning that in the in the interview uh, uh, today about being surprised at the habitual pattern of that judging thought going out to other people. It's like, oh, you know, it's like out of control. It just, it just shows up and it's like he's, he's a little shocked, surprised by the force of that. So it can happen when we start to become more aware of that. We want to become aware of that aggressiveness in our own mind and find a way to be free of that attack. It's a, it's a kind of attack. We're attacked by our own mind. And the Buddha says from the Udana Suttas, he says, whatever enemy might do to an enemy or a foe to a foe, the ill-directed mind can do to you even worse the ill-directed mind, can do to you even worse. And we know this. We all know this. We all feel and know that aggressive tone in our own mind. And sometimes it can be very subtle. And it just throws little darts, like poison darts, just even when we're not noticing or not paying attention. And we just feel the sting of it this critical, negative judge that wants to take charge, wants to take control, wants to undermine our experience, make us wrong, tell us we're wrong, that we're bad. And when I listen and identify with this voice as having some kind of reality, I'll feel the impact of that. And that impact will be to feel wrong, to feel bad to feel maybe even evil, like I'm an evil person in some way. And then if I keep believing that I'm going to feel like a failure, I'm going to feel worthless. And it's almost like we split in two. This is a way we kind of fragment in ourselves. There's the the part of our our psyche that's really critical and negative and judgmental, that's sending all these uh, very uh, hurtful um, uh, ideas to us. And then there's this other part that kind of believes it and then feels hurt and victimized and betrayed and and um, small and, you know, like we're a failure. And, because, and it's like these two parts of our psyche play together. You can't have one without the, without the other. If, if there's a sense of feeling really un, un, unlovable and unworthy, it's coming from somewhere. It sure isn't your essential nature. It isn't who you are. And so we can begin to sense or feel what's going on there. Begin to understand what's actually happening that gives rise to the sense of being so unlovable or unworthy of this love. If we really believe this and we are really caught up in it, then we can spend a lot of time looking for evidence for why this is actually true. And we'll start imagining that people are judging us or not liking us. Or, and then, and then the, the environment can start to feel hostile or threatening. And it may not even be true. I mean, it's something that we need to really examine and find out. We'll begin to be quite suspicious of people's goodwill and good wishes. It's hard be hard to receive the, the goodwill, hard to receive people's generosity. In a way, we begin to be afraid of our own mind. We're afraid of our own mind. What, what my mind will do to me? I know this from my own experience, this sense of kind of having to constrict, to contract, oh. to hold, to defend myself in some way against my own negative patterns within my own mind. And yet the practice, the mindfulness, the love and kindness all helps to open up and to begin to notice those patterns that are happening. So maybe the love or the kindness, the acceptance becomes stronger so we're not buying into it quite as much. We're not believing it quite as much. And we can kind of just say, thank you for sharing, but I've believed you for a long time and I don't actually believe what you're saying to me anymore. So, you know you can take a, take a holiday, you know? And we start to feel more at ease in ourselves. We start feeling more worthy, more confident, strong, healthier, more at ease, all the things that we say in our metta blessings. It's really a particular kind of fear, this fear of being afraid of our own mind. It's a, it creates a lot of activity. The activity of rejecting, justifying, defending, judging, complaining, comparing, feeling sorry for ourselves—essentially, we just wish things were different. And we can kind of collapse under all of that, you know. And it's very hard, if it, depending on how strong that is, to to feel to feel where can I access that source of metta? Where am I going to find it? Because I just feel this deep sense of unlovability. It can feel like there's nowhere to rest. And we're constantly looking for some kind of secure ground where we can let go and rest. We want to. See, this is when we say all beings want to be happy. All beings want this release, this relief from the barrage of pain and these forces of negativity. We want relief from that. And in this looking for our secure ground, we believe that we are cut off from the support of the ground of our own being, the ground of our own heart. That's the way it seems, that's what we believe, that that ground of our own being doesn't really exist. And we can kind of feel a certain helplessness or despair in that. But usually we want to hide all this away from ourselves and from others. And it's just too painful. It can seem too, pain- too painful to actually face the truth, to know what's true. But as we, we see, you know, there's a point at which we can't keep it away anymore. We, there's something within us that says, I want to know the truth. I want to be connected to the ground of my being. I want to be connected to my heart. I want to be happy. I want to feel at ease in myself. When I was on my very first weekend retreat, and, and some of you have heard this story, I don't know whether it's a story that comes up just when I'm teaching with James, but (laughs) because James was my teacher on that first weekend retreat back in the late 70s here in the Bay Area. And I'm glad he was my teacher because (laughs) he was able to help me because I was a total nervous wreck. And... um, I just sat one weekend and I just didn't think I could get through it. I just, it was just the hardest thing that I had ever done just to sit and try to be still and it's all this restlessness and judgment and negativity and this sense of I was wrong and I couldn't do it right and just all caught up in this. And it got to be, you know, on the middle of just the first day that I felt like I was starting to freak out and um, one of the first things I did was I ran into the bathroom because um, my memory from childhood was that I could always run to the bathroom from, for some kind of refuge. <laughs> and somehow you know, going into the bathroom in my, in my household with a lot of uh, sisters and brothers and parents who were out of control and um, somehow I could go in the bathroom and shut the door and there was just some sense of, being able to breathe and feeling some sense of safety. So that was my first refuge, was the bathroom. <laughs> and so on my first weekend retreat, the first idea that I had when I was freaking out was we'll go into the bathroom. And so I went in the bathroom and they shut the door. But the thing was that this was a meditation retreat and I was asked to be paying attention. And so when I was paying attention in the bathroom, I realized that actually I hadn't got away from what I was most scared of, which was my own mind and all of my internal, my internal experience. And so there I was, you know, standing in the bathroom and going, well, you know, I'm still here. <laughs> I mean, what I really wanted to get away from was myself. And that was one of the first insights that I had was that maybe there really wasn't any real escape maybe there wasn't any real refuge that at least that I knew of in the world and so um, I just you know had to get out of the bathroom (laughs) at some point and then you know tried to sit and walk again and things just got worse and finally I went to James and um, I said I don't think I can stay here I'm just it's just too hard and and he said just um take a walk just be easy on yourself just lighten up. <laughs> so went for the walk. He said, look at the birds, smell the flowers, you know, just ease up. And I did, and actually that helped. And, and, you know, even though it was the most difficult thing, that first retreat, to really face myself, to be with myself in that way, there was something else in me that knew this is what I want. Something that knew that, that there wasn't any other escape, that I had to go in. I had to go in and look at what was going on. And and it was incredibly difficult. I and mean, it's been, you know, does it doesn't end on one level. <laughs> you know, you th- might think that it, you know, after some years things uh, you get through it all, but it seems like there's always more. There's always something else to look at. It seems like you take off a few layers or a lot of layers and there's more layers, you know, more and more and more like a never-ending never, never ending practice. So something has to break this up for us. Something has to break it up because we feel the pain. We feel our limitation. We feel the barriers over our heart. And so we come to these practices. And these practices, this practice, it, it, it encourages not hiding. You know, it's what we're, we're asking ourselves not to hide. When we say the phrases, when we send love to ourselves or another person, we're going to be confronted with the ways that we're not able to do that, with the ways that our heart isn't so open, isn't so loving, isn't so kind, isn't so patient. That's what we're going to see, and that's what we need to see. You know, how else can we grow? How else can we develop? How else can we begin to open and, and, and not be so identified with those limiting ideas and beliefs and the conditioning from our past. In some way, we have to move beyond it. We have to let go. So this practice of not hiding is a way that it says, don't be afraid to look, don't be afraid to see, don't be afraid to feel what's true because the truth is what will set you free the truth is what sets us free Rilke the great poet said this wonderful line that you know you've probably heard says perhaps everything that frightens us is in its deepest essence something helpless that wants our love Perhaps everything that frightens us is in its deepest essence, something helpless that wants our love. So in these practices, the Mecca, when we do the mindfulness, the qigong, these practices they are turning us towards that love that ben, our benevolent heart our, our our loving heart, the so we can access that which can hold our pain, which can hold the difficulty, the challenges, the places that were unfinished, the places that we haven't forgiven, the places where our heart is closed. And we just hold what's there in this kind awareness, this loving awareness where the mindfulness and the metta come together. This loving attention, this kind attention. Sometimes saying the words conceptually, sometimes the silence that is just holding that benevolence, holding that kindness. Or times when we're just not able to find it, or the judge is even telling us that you don't even have a benevolent heart, you don't even have any way to find that love. What do you even think you're doing? You know, you are a completely unlovable person, that you don't have a, a cell in your body that has love in it. And then we just keep doing the phrases. <laughs> We keep sending, we keep doing it, we keep doing it. And then something starts to crack or something starts to open for us. And we just keep holding ourselves and holding ourselves in this love and in this awareness, not trying to change ourselves, not trying, not rejecting ourselves, but paying respect to just what's there. Just as in the Metta Sutta from the Buddha, He says, like the mother holding her only child. I love that image of our kind awareness. This is from the Metta Sutta, from the Buddha. May all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upward to the skies and downward to the depths, outward and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding, the sublime abiding, abiding this true refuge, this true refuge of safety for us, the sublime abiding. Sometimes this holding can feel like a mother. You know, we can kind of feel that mother energy in us, like we're, we're holding ourselves like a baby, that tenderness, that care, that respect. And sometimes we may even have a feeling or a sense of that mother, that mother within us. With sometimes the word beloved comes to us, the beloved who is holding all of the conditions of our heart and mind that are in conflict or division or not harmonious, or the Ma, the Great Ma, or the Divine Mother. You know, these wonderful images, many images that come through, images of purity, uh, uh, kind of an immaculate uh, uh, purity that we can feel within our own being. I think we've all had these moments, these tastes of this, where we feel that, 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 that deep, loving energy that can hold all the conditions of our mind and heart, and it feels trustworthy. Something feels very trustworthy. We can trust here. We can let go here. We can rest here. And this gives us a kind of confidence, a sense of stability within ourselves, where we can rest and let go. The Dalai Lama calls this quality of loving-kindness immeasurable inclusivity. Mm-hmm. Immeasurable inclusi- inclusivity. I mean, I, th- it's very much like what Ming Tong is bringing with the ocean of light. This immeasurable inclusivity goes out, just like what the Buddha was saying, in all direction, this boundless heart spreading upward to the skies and downward to the depths, in all directions. We can start to feel this, that that, that, in, that in, can encompass all conditions, all things, with this care and respect. Nisargadatta, another great teacher, said, the mind creates the abyss and love crosses it mind creates the abyss and love crosses it. And from the Buddha, I searched the whole universe with my mind and did not find a single being more worthy of love than myself. Self is as dear as every other. He or she who loves oneself will never harm another. He or she who loves oneself will never harm another. Because that whole sense of me and you, the sense of separation just starts to dissolve in this sense of boundless, this boundless ocean where we are all included together. We're all here together. We all belong together. Every bit of us, all of us. There was a woman in uh, my group who reported something so beautiful that I would really like to share with you. She was talking about this sense of unsafety and, and recognizing the truth of this unsafety that everywhere she looked, she just couldn't find anything that she could rely on for safety. And then she realized that in her, with her practice that she would... Embrace this sense of unsafety, just hold this unsafety to see what she could understand. And as she was doing that, she recognized that the actual bringing the awareness in to the unsafety brought the sense of safety. That that was when she touched the true safety, was that connection with what was true in that moment. The, the alignment with the truth that in this moment there is unsafety there's a feeling that there's nowhere I can turn to I can rely on for that safety and yet as she allowed that she found the safety in the unsafety it says one, one healer told me once it's the wound that the cure for the wound is in the wound We have to go in to find the medicine, to find the cure. And in this way, going into the sense of unsafety brought the sense of safety, which is a complete paradox. It's the mind can't understand that. The mind, our our small thinking mind, isn't going to say, oh yeah, just go into the unsafety to feel safe. It's exactly what we don't want to do. We want to run, we want to escape, we want to find the bathroom. In my case, you know, find the bathroom. (laughs) You know, don't just sit there, which is, you know, what I was supposed to be doing that weekend. You know, just sit there and start to pay attention to this. So more and more as we cultivate our sense of, of, of confidence in the practice, we can go into these more difficult places and then start to actually feel the blessings of what it is that we are, we are asking for in our metta practice. We start to know that. And as we know that, then we can start to recognize what's happening in other people, so we may not be so judgmental, and we may be able to be more compassionate for what other people are going through. And then it starts to expand that compassion. As she really allowed herself to feel that sense of unsafety and felt the safety in that, she then started to relax. The contraction, the, the, the constriction just started to open and we it's not that that then becomes a nice little trick oh i i can just go and start to feel the safety the the sense of unsafety and then it'll go away then i can get rid of it and i think it was ramdas who said once you know you can't do you can't do go into it to get rid of it because it knows <laughs> no it knows so you can't play you can't trick yourself like this you know so, when we go into these difficult experiences, we go, it, it needs to be a genuine, wise, compassionate willingness, an invitation to what's happening with this radical acceptance. Then maybe we'll feel the alchemy, we'll feel the result of taking this medicine. Something then starts to heal. Whatever is held in love can relax. This is the law. This is the way things are. Whatever is held in love can relax. This is from St. John of the Cross. And I saw the river over which every soul must pass to reach the kingdom of heaven, and the name of that river was Suffering. And I saw the goat which carries souls across the river, and the name of that goat was love. That which carries us across the river of our suffering is love. In this way, the the metta and the mindfulness come together, this, this sense of being present and connected and willing to be here, willing to show up, Willing to connect with our deepest intentions, our deepest values, that which is most important to us. This fuels, gives us fuel for our transformation, for our journey. We begin to let go of our identifications with ourselves as small, limited. We begin to let go of these identifications with our. Small thinking minds that's trying to define our reality and tell us who we are and what this world is about. We don't, it's harder to believe. It's harder to believe the mind as we start to drop more fully into our heart center, in our belly, drop, drop down deeper than just listening to our thinking minds. This is from Hafiz. I'd like to read poetry from Hafiz, called All the Hemispheres. Leave the familiar for a while. Let your senses and bodies stretch out like a welcomed season onto the meadows and shores and hills. Open up to the roof. Make a new watermark on your excitement and love like a blooming night flower. Bestow your vital fragrance of happiness and giving upon our intimate assembly. Change rooms in your mind for a day. (laughs) Change rooms in your mind for a day. I think that's what we're doing, really. All the hemispheres in existence lie beside an equator in your heart. Greet yourself in your thousand other forms as you mount the hidden tide and travel back home. All the hemispheres in heaven are sitting around a fire chatting while stitching themselves together into the great circle inside of you. That great circle inside of you. So we move. We move in this practice from the known to the unknown, to that which isn't so familiar. And maybe for many of us, the... Place of true love and true refuge and true safety may not be so familiar, but we begin to move. We have the intention to bring that forth, to bring that alive, to make that real in our lives. We soften, we let go, let go of our resistance, we let go of our holding and move into a truer relationship with ourselves. Well, we start to heal and, 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 and these, the, heal the fragments of ourselves, so we become whole again. We start to feel whole again. And that problematic self, the one who is giving us so much trouble, starts to quiet down, and we begin to touch something in ourself that feels more still, feels more quiet, maybe even peaceful, maybe calm and at ease. And maybe we might feel more at ease with the changing conditions internally and externally, even if they're hard, because that is hard. Hard is the nature of this world. This world is challenging. This world is difficult. This world can feel threatening at times, and we do feel vulnerable. There is aging and sickness and death. That is the way things are. It's inevitable. And perhaps as we start to let go and rest more in our being, in our heart, we can be more at ease with this truth, the truth of the way things are. One last little story Another woman, a friend of mine actually, who's here on the retreat, told me the story that she was standing over by the pond here, doing her loving kindness, and saw one of the baby swallows that had fallen from the nest into the pond, and it was not alive anymore. And, And the water, because it's kind of circles, it flows around, the little baby was just floating around in a circle And she said that a week ago, she would have felt all this grief and worry and looking up and seeing four more baby swallows in the nest and, oh my gosh, what's going to happen to them? And, you know, what can I do? And feeling anxiety about it. But what happened instead was all this loving kindness just flowed from her heart. Very still, very quiet, no grasping, no ego grasping in it for what she wanted or what she hoped for. And just sending metta, scooped up the little baby swallow, sending metta. And even in her mind she said, but she knew the bird wasn't alive anymore and you know the mind was saying, well why are you sending metta to a bird that wasn't alive? And yet the metta just kept flowing. And she took the little bird and found a place where she could dig a little hole and buried the bird and the whole time She was amazed at how still and quiet her mind was, that the metta just flowed, this selfless, beautiful quality of love towards the little baby bird, but also with the truth of the way things are, the truth of this world, the truth of this reality of our human condition, of the condition of, all beings. And I love that story because it is, for me, it's inspiring and it's hopeful. And particularly when she said a week ago how different it would have been. But being here now in the field and the atmosphere of these beautiful blessings and the, the intention, the beautiful intention that we're all carrying to be really deeply affected by that and her own capacity to rest and to be still, finding her own inner refuge, and in that place a true protection, a true sense of safety from the truth of this existence, this changing nature that we live in, that all things come and go, all things that are born pass away. And I'll end with this one last poem from Naomi Shihab Nye, wonderful um, Palestinian American woman poet, goes very deep in her poetry, it's called, So Much Happiness. she says, it is difficult to know what to do with so much happiness. With sadness, there is something to rub against, a wound to tend with lotion and cloth. When the world falls in around you, you have pieces to pick up, something to hold in your hands like ticket stubs or change. But happiness floats. It doesn't need you to hold it down. It doesn't need anything Happiness lands on the roof of the next house, singing, and disappears when it wants to. You are happy either way. Even the fact that you once lived in a peaceful treehouse and now live over a quarry of noise noise and dust cannot make you unhappy. Everything has a life of its own. It It too could wake up filled with possibilities of coffee cake and ripe peaches and love even the floor which needs to be swept, the soiled linens and scratched records. Since there is no place large enough to contain so much happiness, you shrug, you raise your hands and it flows out of you into everything you touch. You are not responsible, you take no credit as the night sky takes no credit for the moon but continues to hold it and share it and in that way be known. And so we'll sit for a minute and again you don't really need to change your posture where you are. We'll just sit quietly and let all the words dissolve into this space. Thank you for your kind attention.